On this episode, Steve Copshaw from Nutritional Coaching Institute joins us to discuss the financial side of nutrition coaching. We dive into why you need to understand cash management in your business, three components of the profit per acquisition formula, and at the end, we go into how you can prepare for a recession. As always, if this episode helped you or brings you value in any way, please do me a favor and share it with a friend. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome to Build Your Wealth Muscle, a podcast dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs build wealth by saving taxes and growing their money. Each episode will break down different strategies in the areas of business, tax, and retirement planning specifically for your coaching business. Disclaimer, the topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation. Please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making any changes to your financial or tax situation. Now here's your host, certified financial planner and tax advisor, Pat Darby. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Build Your Wealth Muscle. If this is your first time joining us, we have two show formats. Typically, they're solo episodes where we can go really deep on specific areas of finance, tax, wealth management. But then also we'll bring on guests, and that's like today's episode, where they're either colleagues of yours, fellow fitness coaches, or they support your industry. And that is exactly who Steve Kopshaw is, the Chief Operating Officer for Nutritional Coaching Institute. How's it going, Steve? Yeah, what's going on, Pat? That's going well, dude. That's... uh one of those days cranking along later in the day. So just uh, thinking about trying to unwind it and, you know, get some, get some time downtime. Right, man. So thanks for having me on though. Yeah. I feel it's a little bit late your time. You're on the, you're in New York city or nearabouts. Uh, just outside New York city in New Jersey. So uh, seven o'clock. That's my old stomping grounds. I saw on your bio, I think Waldwick, is that where you used to live? I, uh, Midland park. So right next to Waldwick actually. Is that, I think my friend lives there. Is that like kind of Ridgewood? Ridgewood is right next door. Like my three houses down <laughs> is literally Ridgewood. So that's very yeah, close. Two of my buddies live right there. Okay, cool, yeah. man. Small. Do you ever come out this way? I lived in Hoboken for like 15 years before I moved out to Vegas. So okay. that's, nice. that's more home than here, but I, I don't miss the weather over there. <laughs> that's for sure. It's going to be... <laughs> It'll be about uh, negative 15 wind chills Saturday morning. So uh, you're not missing a whole lot. I can promise you that. No. Although it's pretty cold here relatively, but not compared to East Coast winter. Yeah. <laughs> fair. Fair. It's all um, relative, dude. So let's dive into your background. Um, it's pretty cool. Obviously, I was doing some homework on you. I used to be a member of New York Sports Club for a while. Looks like you used to work there back in the day. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I start my, my, my adult career really started at New York sports clubs and just kind of going down that road. And it was, uh, it was really kind of the first step after leaving college because I needed something to do and I wasn't going to have, uh, you know, dad to pay all my bills and all the things. So I needed to make some money. I was pursuing being a paid firefighter at the time and I needed a, some form of job, some form of income, but I also needed a gym membership to train. So I was like, let me go work at the gym. Super easy. It's probably can be a front desk person. No problem. 
and literally that was my first step into health and fitness. Uh, you know, grew, grew that eventually became a personal trainer, eventually became a fitness manager, eventually became a general manager with New York sports club. So definitely had a path there and, and enjoyed it all. But, uh, yeah, New York sports club is my first, geez, my first real job out of college, if you will. It's funny. It's a long, it feels like forever ago at this point in time. That's a, that's a good gym though. Um, I was a member there for a pretty long time in Hoboken and for a while I went to their white plains location where it was like a basketball court and everything. Yep. That's the, uh, you had to have the passport membership at the time. It was like, a, <laughs> like 110 bucks a month or whatever it was. Um, yeah. Although they, I was able to get that deal because my ex-girlfriend's dad was in the NYPD. So I think I got like a little discount on it. Discount. Okay. But then I think New York sports club ended up dropping prices, I guess, competing with like the planet oh, yeah. of the world. But I was grandfathered in at the higher price. They couldn't lower me till one day a guy at New York Sports Club was like, you know, you're paying more than everybody else here. I'm like, what? <laughs> so like that was a good basketball court, I guess. Yeah, this is what I was all in Hoboken. I back in I don't know if you ever went to the Hoboken New York Sports Club, but it was in like a basement, got flooded and stuff like that, or in Sandy's like not yeah. a good gym. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that's I mean New York sports clubs, the one that I originally worked at, which was in Ramsey, they're not even New York sports clubs anymore. Those clubs have uh, taken a pretty big hit at those kind of discount high volume membership places. So, yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I had worked at, um, I think White Plains is the one that I had done some like random work when they needed help and things like that. But uh, yeah, geez, the good old days. <laughs> Yeah, I hadn't thought of New York Sports Club for years until I was looking at your bio. I'm like, oh, that's funny. I was actually curious if they're still in existence, but I guess they're dying out. Some of them are. I mean, I haven't really looked in a long time, um, but I know that I know that I've seen some of them. You know, and you got like Boston Sports Clubs, Philadelphia Sports Clubs, New York Sports Clubs, Washington Sports Clubs. So there was a couple of different ones, but I don't think they were anywhere near as big as they were. Um, I mean, if you think you, you look at those discount high volume brands that came in, it's hard to compete with a $20 a month gym membership, a $10 a month gym membership. You're just going to go there no matter who you are, unless you are a diehard, that gym has that piece of equipment or it's your friends, your family, whatever it is. That's the only way that it really makes it, makes it work. Right. Yeah. Especially because back when I was using it, it was hard to find a gym that was all over the place for, so like that passport membership was worth it. Now everyone does that. So it's like, you used to pay a premium to be able to use all of them. Now it's like, that's standard standard. Yeah. It's that's standard. It's just the, that was the thing that separated them. But now, you know, you look at like the exponential fitnesses of the world and you can go intermingle between different franchise systems that they have now. It's just, that's the way of the world today. And it's, it's about ease, right? The easier something is the more likely you are to use it. So, yeah. So that got you into the fitness industry. I'm guessing what, brought you into, I guess, where you are now doing for, well, I guess, tell us people what you also do. I don't think I did a good enough job in the very beginning explaining who you are. We sort of just dove in, but. Yeah. You know, um, I consider myself like an optimizer, right? So I am COO of NCI and absolutely love our world. What I get to do there. I, the team that I have the luck to lead and get to lead and all those things. Like it's all amazing. 
But at the end of the day, like, you know, chief operating officer, like I would consider myself more that cheap optimizing officer where you're giving me something and I'll be able to look at that thing and kind of pinpoint this is the lever we need to try to pull to create a better result. Um, you know, so that's, that's kind of my, my jam from that side of things. I'm passionate about leadership, passionate about the financial side of our world. I'm passionate about understanding the mechanics that make a business grow and scale. Um, but that's all been learned through history of owning gyms, owning massage studios, owning a gym, uh, a fitness franchise. So it's been a career of understanding through lessons learned, uh, you know, and, and growing and scaling my own thing. So it, it was, uh, it's certainly a journey, but it's taught me a lot. And now I have the fortunate luck to be able to help out other business owners that are looking to go create their own dream. And it's still in health and wellness, which is a topic and subject that I generally like, but I kind of, I didn't want to keep doing the personal training or the coaching for that client because eventually it just, I don't know, it gets a little bit old. You're a special person to really love that for a very long time. Um, but I love being in the business of helping the business owners go help all those clients. So it's still, still close to my heart, I would say. So what does that role entail? You work with, so I guess explain a little bit more about NCI for people who may not be familiar, like what the program does and then what specifically you do with those coaches that you're helping. Yeah. So NCI is Nutritional Coaching Institute. Uh, we're about five and a half years old at this point in time. Uh, Jason Phillips founded it and it was effectively really bridging the gap of knowledge and now introducing application to nutrition coaching, right? There's effectively a lot of coaches in the world. I mean, we can all sign on to any social media platform and there is somebody there telling us that they are some form of coach. And it's like, this 19 year old that is like a financial coach. And it's like, wait, do you even understand real finances? Like you're, you're, you're doing like the 10 plus 10 math these days. Like, does it still work that way? But like, whatever, I digress. Um, but, but, uh, you know, so our goal really is understanding a, the knowledge is out there, right? If we all go Google hard enough, a macro plan, let's just oversimplify it. We're going to get pretty close to what we might need as a human. And any general population person can achieve that. Any coach can figure that out and get it done. But where the magic comes in is your ability to apply your knowledge and create compliance or, in other words, create a result for your client. At the end of the day, none of us are going to achieve what we want if we're not able to create a result. And that's where a lot of these coaches fail. And that's where Jason saw a gap and was able to jump in and NCI was kind of born out of that. So uh, five and a half years old, the team is about 27 people strong at this point in time. And ultimately, my job is to oversee the day-to-day operations and execution across the entire company. Admittedly, I've come in with more of a, like, marketing is my passion. If you can see behind me, I have a Two Comic Club award, and that's one of my, like, prize possessions of getting, you know, going out there and generating revenue on an online sales funnel and things like that. So I love the marketing aspect, but understanding the impact marketing has on sales and customer service and fulfillment and ascension and lifetime values and everything, I think is what makes me strong at marketing, but also able to scale a business versus just shoving a bunch into that business that it can't necessarily handle. So 
that's uh, ultimately my my day to day is that. That's pretty cool. Tell us about um, coaching con because. I think I might attend this year. I, I didn't go last year. Um, I don't even oh, know if I heard of it last year. You didn't year. go. Coaching con. What's a, a good word? I mean, it's going to be epic. Like, when you think about a stage where you have, you know, Jason Phillips, like, obviously him, NCI, you know, founder, things like that. But when you have Alex and Layla Hermosi, when you have Eli Wild, when you have Dana and Rob Bailey and, and you know, Tom Billu and Lisa Billu and all these people coming to one place. It's an environment that's going to be simply epic. The stories that are there and like everybody there, everybody knows. And they were all people who grew something. And like something is literally something massive, right? It's not like I made a million dollars out of nothing. It's like I made hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollars out of nothing. And nobody there is 90 years old. Like this isn't something that people were able to go out and do. And they old school money, they inherited, whatever it is. Like they created a thing and just one. So for me, it's one of those opportunities to just go out and like be around people who are absolutely killing the game and wanting to share some of the tips and tricks of the trade that they have or some of the secrets that created the success for them. And if people go and literally take out two or three things, don't don't be that person that's like, I'm going to take the best from everybody and I'm going to leave the worst behind. Like if you were that good, you would have already figured it out, right? Like, but go and listen to people who have come before you and accomplish something before you take two or three things and just relentlessly attack that for the next 12 months. You will literally have a new life. It is impossible to not have a new life if that's how you can focus with the knowledge that's going to be in that room. When people attend coaching con, is it, um, is that the main event or they're typically they're in NCI and then that program is a supplement to everything or do some people just show up and that's their annual coaching? Um, it's going to be a mix of both, right? We, our clients are going to be heavily attending it. A majority of the crowd will be people that are within the, the nutritional coaching Institute community, and they're going to go and it's going to be supplemental to all the things that we already do. But I also believe that coaches out in the space, whether it's obviously nutrition oriented in terms of the true demographic of people that our clients are going to be preaching and teaching to, but at the same point, it's going to be applicable to a lot of different businesses. I mean, you have somebody who created a billion dollar nutrition bar company. You're going to have people who have apparel lines and have done supplements. You're going to have people there who have done nutrition coaching companies. Like it just, you know, gym, like it just, there's a lot of stuff there that if you're a coach on any level, it could make sense for you to be there for, for a few hundred dollars to get the value out of that room. The first day, is going to be more than worth that, let alone an entire four days worth of information. That's amazing. That's pretty cool. So yeah, you got to go. You got to, you, you if you're there, Pat, you got to let me know. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there this year. So I think it's, All I right. forget the dates. I think it's April, but yeah. Um, I was excited to ask you about that question. Cause I was like, yeah, who better to ask about that event? Yep. Yeah, no, it, it's going to be a good time. It's going to be an epic trip. Um, and it's going to be, it's just going to be good. So highly, highly suggest it. 
Um, wouldn't not a better event that you can attend this year if you're in the coaching space. That's awesome. So there's two directions. I, I don't moments to learn which way to go when it comes to scaling and systems. What do you, what do you recommend that people consider or should be like the first thing they implement when it comes to scaling? Like I always am curious what everyone's opinion is like, what should someone's first hire be? I think you're the ideal person to ask that question to whatever you hate doing the most or whatever you don't have the bandwidth to accomplish any longer. So, and that's kind of a vague answer, but I'll give a little context. And if you're in a business and I'll, I'll use nutrition coaching as the example, and you are growing and all of a sudden you hit 50 clients and things are going well as a solopreneur and you're trying to do all of the things, you have options. You could offload your attention getting tactics, whatever it is that you're doing to go out there and create new conversations and get new people to know who you are. You could offload the act of getting people to hop onto a sales call. So kind of, you know, a customer um, service so to speak, or, or whatever, you know, if, if you're having that setter position or just somebody who's really like community success manager, if you will, you could offload the actual sales calls. You could offload the actual coaching of the clients, right? So there's options of what to do. A lot of people have preferences of I'd like to do, and I don't like to do. Now I'll say the thing that I can confidently say is probably last on the list is going to be offloading sales. Usually people can't talk about your business better than you can. So I don't think that's the best first thing to do. But outside of that, like, what are you weakest at? What has been the hardest for you to do? And what doesn't bring you joy? If you enjoy and love coaching clients, maybe don't give that up and let somebody else go and create that community connection and create those sales calls and things like that. And whatnot. If you hate coaching clients and maybe it's time to bring in an assistant coach and everything there. So I think the best way to solve that is really do more of a time audit, understand all the things you're actually doing, not you think you're doing because some of us are really busy in a day. Meanwhile, we didn't actually get anything accomplished. That's a whole different conversation. But from that perspective, it's just what is what do you not enjoy doing and what do you potentially is the biggest time suck that's not necessarily producing the yield you want, right? Um, I think the other valuable question for somebody to think about is what kind of business do you actually want to build? A lot of people go into business and it's like, I want to hit this certain amount of revenue and revenue can probably start like, I want to do 10 K a month. That's $120,000 a year. Top line. Like that's not bad for most people. Like it's, it's, it's probably pretty good. You're in control. You have freedom, all the stuff. Um, you know, there's complexities there and, the taxes and all that fun stuff down the road, but like, that's not where we're at. But at the same point, do you want to grow a million dollar a year business and oversee a team of 10 people and be a leader and everything as well? It's important to understand what you want. So you know what you should be doing because it's always very easy to go. I want more. So what does more mean and why do you want more and how do we scale to the real vision of where you're trying to go? So not a very direct answer, but hopefully that kind of gives you some questions to ask to start to think about what the right thing is. No, I think that's I think that's super valuable to figure out who the 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 end in mind and like from a financial perspective, 
I always ask new clients that, like, where do you want this company to be in 20 so years? Just because exactly that, like, if you know you want to be a solopreneur your whole life and have a super high uh, profit business, cool. But like, from a financial perspective, you better be taking that profit out of the business and doing something with it. Because if you're just a high profit business and you have no intention of selling, and obviously, even if the people who are intending to sell statistics are not in their favor, that it's going to go well at the end. But it's really important from a financial perspective to figure out like what you should be doing with your profits, either building a team or buying personal assets because, and exactly. So I think that's so cool. What, what percentage of the, the people that come in to NCI are, are they typically past the 10 K mark and they're looking to get to seven figures with you guys, or are they potentially just starting at ground zero and say, Help me get to six figures. So about 60% of our new lead and then thus for kind of client acquisition is coming from people that are looking to get into the coaching game. So they're starting okay. at ground zero. Maybe they have some form of knowledge in terms of call it nutrition and biology, things like that. And they're looking to actually start a business um, from that side of things. And you know, though of that group of people, a large majority of them are never really going to take the massive action that's needed in order to even get to that 10k a month business because it's it's really simple, like simple, simple. I could make you ten thousand dollars in a month, zero problem, zero problem. But a lot of people won't do the actual work to get there because it's not easy. Very simple, but it's just not easy. And it requires work. It requires doing things that we're not necessarily good at. And getting out of our way can be a very big challenge. And that's oftentimes what we find. Everybody's like, all right, no, I'm cool. And I'm comfortable at this spot. And it's like, cool. Like I want, my job is to get you what you want, not to shove down your throat what I think you need. What do you guys, what would you say is the biggest resistance or point of failure? Like you said, it's because I think the easy versus simple is a great analogy because in fitness, it's like the way to lose weight is very simple. It's not easy, but it's very simple. And so applying that to business, that sounds like a great way. Like what would you say is one of the biggest things that you guys say, Hey, you do this, this, and this, you'll succeed. What's probably the most common point of failure that they just don't take the action. Um, I'd say the most common point of failure is the ability to diversify your time to continue to grow up to that 10 K plus a month mark. And what I mean by that is step number one, and I'll just oversimplify. You need to capture attention. If nobody knows you exists, exist, nobody can say, Hey, I want whatever it is you're offering me. Right. So you need to capture attention, whether that's going to be going out and doing paid Facebook advertising, which I wouldn't do that right off the bat if you don't have a business, but it's an option. Um, if you're going to go out and cultivate people into a Facebook group, if you're going to create a, you know, some type of content and ask them to give you their name, email, and phone number on a landing page and send them this free thing, whatever it is that you're going to do to create a list and own your media and create the attention, that has to be step number one. Then step number two is you now need to move from just the attention mode to providing value, cultivating a relationship and getting them to get on a sales call with you. 
And then step number three is ultimately after you've sold them, fulfilling on your promise. What happens is as humans, we go down the road, we're like, we're, we're like just so focused on, I'm creating attention. I'm creating attention. Now all of a sudden I have some sales calls. I somehow forget to create attention. Then I get those sales calls and I get some clients and then I forget about making sales calls happen. So now I have these clients that I'm focusing on and I'm like, wait, I ran out of sales calls or I'm running out of money or whatever it is. So let me try to get a sales call. And it's like, oh, wait, but I stopped trying to get attention two months ago. Now I got to start this all over again. It's another 60 day ramp up period, man, what happened? So I, that's probably the biggest thing that people just underestimate as you grow, like humans have a hundred percent capacity. When you start out, you're giving a hundred percent of your attention towards gathering attention. Then you got to split it in two. Then you got to split it in three. You can't just do a hundred percent on one and expect it to continue to work. And that's going to be the biggest hang up that a lot of people face. That's this is a perfect transition. Cause I wanted to go here. Like, you know, we talked earlier on uh, Instagram, like it's cool to be able to nerd out with someone who's deep in the financial financial weeds. So I obviously I didn't prepare you for this specific question, but I want your opinion mostly because you're not a marketing, you're not selling a marketing. This is why I think it's a cool question for you. Like if, when it comes to business development and marketing, what would you recommend someone's percentage of top line revenue be allocated towards business development, whatever it looks like for them? It's typically people I ask, like they're in the business. So like they, they, they might be like, give a yeah. higher number. Yeah. It's got, it's got to be 50% of all your money. So that way, you know, <laughs> yeah. by the way, I'm conveniently that much. No, um, you know, I think it's going to vary a little bit. I think there's a use case. And again, it's going to be what kind of business do you want? And when do you start putting things in? If you're generating top line five to $10,000 a month. And if I can get really semantical for a minute, one other common mistake business owners make is they don't understand their accounting system. So cash-based accounting versus accrual basis accounting. Cash, I collect money today and I receive all my money today. Accrual, if somebody pays me for six months of service, I'm supposed to divide that money by six months and that's how much money I make per month. So first of all, understanding how much money you're legitimately making more on an accrual basis even if your accounting practices are cash-based, is going to be beneficial. So just disclaimer right there, like understanding the principle. I'm not saying change the way you do your accounting. I'm just saying understand what it is. That said, if you're making less than $10,000 a month, you're probably only paying for a couple of softwares to the tune of maybe no more than 500 bucks a month to support your marketing efforts and create some efficiencies around whatever it is that you do. If you're pushing more like thirty to fifty thousand dollars a month, that's probably where we can start to say, again, not abandoning the organic work we did in the beginning, but ten to fifteen percent of your revenue to go towards generating new traffic and eyeballs and attention is not a bad thing. Now, that doesn't mean literally handing Facebook or Google or Instagram money. It can mean going out and doing things in person. It can mean creating partnerships with other people. It can mean hiring a person that is dedicated towards creating the attention for your business. There's a lot of ways to spend the money on business development efforts. Um, and again, we're not going to get overly technical in the accounting practice, but 
I think you need to start putting some money in there once you get above 10K in generating attention, not just supporting the system that where the attention goes to. I love that answer because I think, especially the first part, because I don't, I don't think you almost ever hear people talking about that. Like if you're going to have seasonality to your business or just like you said, the ebbs and flows of the cash coming in, like from a bookkeeping perspective, your bookkeeper is going to do a cash accounting, but exactly what Steve's talking about mentally, you need to like, that's what fractional CFOs do. They, they break it into accrual base because if you get a mass influx of clients and then exactly say like you're servicing them now, that cash cannot disappear from your bank account for month two. Cause it's a lot of the expenses, your personal life, it's going to, it's, it's very important to divide that up and see what it's actually going to last you in duration. So yeah. I think that's super valuable. They brought that up. Yeah. It's all too common. And you know, it's easy to have a conversation. It's very relatable. Like, Hey Pat, you had a really good month and you had $50,000. The conversation of don't be dumb and go buy a Lamborghini. That logically makes a lot of sense. But if we distill that down, you go buy a Lamborghini, you create need in your life. And that need is you now have to pay the follow-up expenses that are associated with this item. Same token, if you go spend all the money on something else, even if it was like, I had to pay my rent, which is a very reasonable thing to pay. But if you use all of money for month two, and you no longer have the money in there, you're still creating need. So no matter what, whether you're paying rent, very logical, sounds good, or buying a Lamborghini or a Porsche or a vacation home, illogical, makes makes sense not to do that. People have done it, though. They both create need, and when you create need, you put more pressure on yourself and the business to perform, and you give yourself less wiggle room in the event everything doesn't go perfect. So just one one thing that's near and dear to me, a lot of business owners just they completely screw themselves because they're not paying attention to their math that way. Yeah. So you're, wait, did I understand you correctly? You're saying that creating the need is something you guys do recommend. Did no, we don't that? recommend it. You, you don't want to create need regardless of good or bad. And there's obvious needs that you're creating that are bad buying a car, oh, but then yeah, there's yeah. needs that are less obvious where it's like, Oh, but I paid my rent or my mortgage. Like, I get it. And you probably had to, but you're still creating need and causing pressure, which undue pressure that's not reasonable or doesn't make sense. Doesn't usually end well. Yeah. And that's, that's why I was like, I didn't think I heard you correctly because that's the bullshit stuff. They like the opposite, like creating the need. Like, I don't know if you ever see the movie uh, boiler room. Yep. Like that's exactly. And unfortunately I hate a lot of those types of movies because when I started in finance, I worked in what were like, like I knew people just like that where they like, they encourage you to do stupid crap with your money because you would show up to work like, holy crap, I need to make money because yeah. I just did stupid crap over the weekend. And so like it was, you know, funny in the movie, but yeah, that's totally true. Like it, and obviously in the finance world, it really pushes people to do unethical things to generate revenue and, that's just a whole separate topic, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of topics in there. A lot of topics. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's cool. So let's stick with the nerdy finance stuff. What would be one or two financial metrics that you would, that I guess doesn't have to be financial metrics, but 
any sort of metrics that you think fitness coaches or nutrition coaches should be measuring and tracking in their business? Yeah. So my favorite formula for realistically any business, especially when we're talking solopreneur, small entrepreneurial business is the profit per acquisition formula. So What'd simply put profit, what pro- profit per acquisition. So understanding profit per acquisition helps you make decisions. And, and here's why. So profit per acquisition is built on three components. First component is you have a cost to acquire a customer. So your CTA, you then have a cost to fulfill on your promise you made to that customer. So your CTF, and then you have a client lifetime value, the total money that they're going to pay you over the course of time that they decided to be with your business. If you understand those numbers and really quickly, hey, I spent $3,000 on acquisition efforts last month and I got 30 new clients out of it. All right, amazing. It's $100 to acquire a client, right? Same thing. I spent 3000 and I got 10. All right. Well, it's going to be 300 per client. So just do simple math and understand it. Your cost to fulfill. How many active clients are you serving and what are your monthly operating expenses? That way you understand I need to go out and have this much money in the bank to fulfill on my promise every single month to my clients. Again, easy math. It's $5,000 and I have 100 clients. Okay, cool. That's going to go ahead and be your 50 bucks per month per client to go ahead and fulfill on that. And then the last one is your lifetime value, understanding that and breaking it down to the same kind of uh, timing. So if we go, I have a client, they paid me 600 bucks a month and they paid me 3,600 for six months. Cool. We understand lifetime value is 3,600 and we know that their monthly contribution is 600. Well, if I take my $600 of lifetime value, break that into per month, my subtraction of fulfillment and my subtraction of acquisition I get what my profit per acquisition is. Couple of things that happens with that. A, as a business owner, we sometimes get stuck in this like, I don't want to make the phone call to the lead. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Well, if you knew very clearly, every time you acquired a client, your profit was $400. It can tend to be a little more motivating to get some of the boring work done and get things done that need to be done. Same token, when we understand that and we're looking at three high-level numbers, again, this is way overly simplified, for a human, it's very easy to make a decision on which number is the worst number. We can all agree when you have three numbers, there's always one that's the worst. They might all be really good. One might be 100%, then the other's 98%, and then the other's 85%. Those would be good grades in high school for me. But the 85% is still the worst of the three. So we can enable ourselves as human to ask that next level question. And let's say, oh, my cost to fulfill on clients seems really high. Why is it so high? We'll dig into that a little bit more. Instead of just this generalized number that we're doing very simple math for, what actually goes into the day-to-day operation of my business? And let me understand the details so I can try to parse out, is something too expensive? Am I spending too much money on something I shouldn't be? Do I have subscriptions running that I thought I canceled is whatever it is, solve that problem. And it enables you to block out this, you know, sales conversion number, my cost per lead, my cost, 
you know, all these things, but it's also like, oh, is my retention this or attrition that or how much they're paying me monthly this? Like those don't matter if we know the fulfillment thing is the problem. Same token, if your acquisition expense is too high or something's off, block out the other two and dive down that rabbit hole to understand. So three numbers, acquisition, fulfillment, and value. Make sure we're looking at it in the same time frame per month um, across the board. And that's honestly like the best and most simple way, in my opinion, to look at your numbers as a coach and figure out what you need to solve or what you can enhance. Those are awesome. Does NCI help them? Well, if they're in their full program, do you guys help them track all that? And Yep. Yeah. So we'll, um, we'll actually go in, depending upon what level of program that you're in, we'll go from some basic kind of tracking sheets and things like that and conversation around it all the way to literally spending some time one-on-one with you ripping apart some of your information and giving some thoughts and opinions and advice around it, right? We're not CPAs. We're not financial advisors, like we're not wealth strategists. That's not who we are, but we are going to give you some thoughts and opinions around what to do based upon the information we're seeing. And if you're experiencing a, a problem or an opportunity that is going to be based upon somebody else's expertise, we'll definitely tell you like, Hey, this is the right type of person you should go speak to as well. That's awesome. That, that is really valuable. Um, I'm not sure how many other coaching programs help with that, but that's that's awesome because I feel like you hear people talk about like the business coaching and they talk about, they help you with your finances, but typically it's not what I would consider helping with finances like you're just describing, which, so I think that's really cool that NCI does that. Yeah. I mean, it's a fundamental part of owning a business. And a lot of people get into this business specifically because they want to help somebody, right? Like I want to help a person. You don't get in to become a QuickBooks professional. This is not what you (laughs) want to do. And that tends to be a daunting thing. And we tend to run in this thing of like, oh, I sold a $5,000 paid in full. And then I went and I spent this money. And then a month two, like, ah, I had to sell another $5,000 pay in full. And it was like, they lost the get to and move to have to. And then all of a sudden it's like, if I just bury my hand, my head in the sand, it'll all be okay. I don't need to look at the numbers. And it's like, no, no, we got to look at that. Otherwise we can't make decisions. I love it. Um, now let's zoom out a little bit, like uh, to talk more macro. I don't remember the specific stats, but 0809 the the recession didn't hit the fin- the fitness industry as much as people thought it would. Like it's, if if I look at the stats, I believe it said that most of the gym memberships didn't decline the way people were worried they would have. I don't remember the details of that of that report I read. But what are you guys telling fitness coaches or just your personal opinion uh, or nutrition coaches? Sorry, um, of what potentially could be coming as people worry about the unemployment number going up in 20, I mean, maybe you don't specifically think that, but for people who are worried about that, what are you guys telling them? What what are you guys helping them do to maybe recession proof their business? Yeah. So I, I opened my first business in 2009, which was a personal training studio where I was selling personal training for $94 for a 45 minute session. And 
it that business lasted until I intentionally sold it for many, many years. So going into that business, I had one goal, provide results. I understood acutely that it was easier to keep somebody than acquire a new person. Sure. And naturally speaking, people are always going to care about themselves, right? Now, I'm not going to say there's not certain parts of the country or certain, um, you know, uh, people that are going to value health and wellness to a different extent. So there's going to be different impacts that we have to worry about. Maybe people are going to go spend a ton of money on supplements and all the things. But at the end of the day, in the core of it, humans still care about living and feeling good, right? It's just, it's just, it's ingrained in our DNA. So the hard reality is understanding human behavior during this time becomes key. I think right now, as we face, you know, the potential for a recession or dollars being worth a different amount today, tomorrow, 10 years ago, whatever it is, we're in, we're in that phase where not that it's not going to impact you, but the more you let it impact you, the more it will impact you. So going into it where if you truly solve a need for somebody, there will find a way that if you understand your business, your clientele and what your avatar is seeking and desiring, and you're building a business around their needs, they will find a way. Now, if you think you're going to go start a business and I'm brand new and I'm not sure if I pro provide results, I'm going to charge $1,500 a month for you to hop on Zoom with me 15 minutes once a week. It's probably not going to end well. <laughs> I mean, maybe it does, but it probably won't. But at the same point in time, people are willing to go out and spend some money to have that person that's going to help guide them. So for me, it really comes down to like provide a result. Like why are you the person that people should choose to help solve their problem? What in the past 30, 60, 90 days have you done to become the very logical solution to somebody's problem? And that is going to mean more than any potential change in value in the dollar, in somebody's home, in their, you know, portfolio of stocks or whatever it is that they're investing in. So provide value, like whatever it is you say you're going to do, you better darn well get that done. Like plus whatever plus looks like. I think that's fantastic advice. Um, basically, don't fear the recession. Is Just keep providing value. L let me ask you, do you guys at NCI help people add recurring revenue to their business model? We do. So, um, you know, it, it's a fine mix of both, right? Like what's an ideal world? Uh, currently, the highest recommended model. And if you're listening to this, this is something that we only teach in some of our higher level business things. So please take out a pen and paper because I'm giving away some secrets right now. But it's this whole thing of PIFs versus monthly recurring. And it's this long debate of which one is better and which, which battle do you want to fight and which one is this and which one is that and cash versus accrual basis account, blah, 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 right? Remove all the things. What if there was a world where you did both for every single client? I'm going to have you pay in full and I'm going to have you pay a recurring fee. It's like, well, how, why, why would you do that? Like, how does that matter? This seems really expensive, but in a normal world, let's say you're going to charge something to the extent, and I'll just use easy math here. 
500 bucks a month for coaching. And if you go ahead and pay for the year in full, instead of 6,000, I'll give it to you for 5,000 bucks, right? And that's what coaching is going to look like with me, Steve, the nutrition coach, not a nutrition coach. I'm the last person you want to do your nutrition coaching. Just disclaiming that. Okay. But (laughs) that all said, if we flip it on its head and we say, Hey, listen, we're going to charge you a $1,000 enrollment fee, something upfront, something that we're going to accept and receive on month one. And starting on month two, instead of $500 a month, we're actually going to charge you something along the lines of a hundred of $350 a month or some version thereof to make the math work. Now, And the only caveat that I have in there is, hey, just give me 60 days notice of cancellation. Outside of that, no long-term contracts. I'm not keeping you stuck here or anything there. We're going to leverage the idea of amortization and kind of the accrual-based accounting where we're truly accepting $1,000 on month one and you're truly earning it on month one. So you're getting the money in. But if that person stays with you for 10 months... You can take that initial payment and divide it over 10 months, thereby increasing the value that's coming in each month. You as the business owner, like imagine if you had five people, I'm only going to take five people, Pat, only five people this month that come into coaching. And guess what? I'm already full, but I have this wait list for next month. I've clearly done a good job of capturing your attention. I've clearly done a good job of showing why you need me or I have your solution. You're probably going to sit on that wait list and you're going to wait. But let's do the math. Five people. I collected $5,000 on the five $1,000 down payments or enrollment fees. Plus, I'm five months into this. And I've had a couple of people drop off. But let's say I have 20 people who are paying me my three fifty dollars a month. Well, darn. I mean, that's $7,000 in recurring, $5,000 in one-time payments. I had a $12,000 month. That is a pretty stable revenue number that I'm shielding myself away from some of this fluctuations that coaches can tend to have. And oh, by the way, I remove my need to have 10 people join this month, which creates massive operational load from onboarding and fulfillment and all the things. And I also create high demand where I have a wait list. Here's all the things I only let five per month. And it's human nature. If you can't have it, you really want it. So that is kind of the way that we go around. So I don't want to say we recommend building recurring, but we, we kind of recommend both. If that makes sense. I love that. I, I think that I hope everyone did take out a pen and paper and write that down because from a, from a recessionary standpoint, having the recurring revenue is one of the best things you can do for your business to try to weather the storm. Not even just the fact that if that is the situation and we are, we do turn into a rough economy way easier to predict your revenue when you have those. Like obviously, like like Steve just said, you you risk losing some people, but you have a pretty good idea of what the forecast is for the next three to six months inside of your cash. Yeah. And if if you understand your business metrics deep enough, and let's talk about that client lifetime value number on the profit per acquisition formula, if you go dive deep enough in there, you're you should eventually understand what your retention or your churn or your attrition, however you look at it is. And over a long enough period of time, 10% is an easy number. If you lose 10% of your clients every month, you know that the likelihood of you losing 10% of your clients next month is pretty good, plus or minus. If you have 15, 
you're going to lose 1.5. So you'll lose one or two most likely. And it allows you, as you said, to kind of predict and forecast what is likely to happen. I think that's phenomenal advice, especially for anyone listening that's maybe stressing out what's going to happen in, in the economy over the next three to 12 months. Um, well, Steve, this has been awesome. I don't want to hold you. It's kind of late your time, but can you tell listeners what's the best place for them to learn more about you and your company? Yeah. So, uh, Instagram, you know, all the social media, Facebook, things like that. Nutritional coaching Institute is where you're going to find our company, our team, things like that. If you're looking for me, uh, on Instagram, it's at NCI underscore Steve. If you're searching for me on Facebook, then you're just going to go ahead and search Steve Kopshaw, K-O-P-S-H-A-W. Uh, happy to help. Happy to get you somebody to talk to on the team, understand the programs a little bit better. And, you know, at the end of the day, I know we have something that can help you, whether it's really wanting to start getting into nutrition coaching and understand the biology side of it, or if you want to actually start your business or really kind of grow and scale your business to something and beyond, we, we do have a solution over there for you. And when is the coaching con that they should check out? Coaching con is going to be April. It is the 12th, 13th, 14th, and 15th. So Wednesday evening, the 12th in Phoenix, Arizona is going to be kind of the first night. We're going to have uh, the crew from mind pump there. Um, they're going to be, so if you're staying at the host hotel, you get that for free that night, kind of a big Q and a hang out with the team, hang out with me, hang out with mind pump. Um, you'll probably want to hang out with mind pump, not me, but Hey, I'll be there. Uh, <laughs> and then <laughs> just being honest, um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all day is going to be the actual, uh, event itself. Pretty much every day, starting off around eight, eight thirty in the morning, going until around five, five thirty in the evening. Um, some kind of evening events each night and just, uh, something to hang out with and come meet the team. Um, and go from there. Awesome. Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining us on build your wealth muscle. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Pat. I appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Oh, and to everyone, the links to everything that Steve just talked about will be in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on build your wealth muscle. The links mentioned in this episode are available in the show notes for video clips and more information on tax and retirement strategies for fitness entrepreneurs, please follow my Instagram at the Pat Darby. If you found value in this episode, please do us a favor and share with a friend. If you tag me, that'd be appreciated also. Lastly, for help implementing any of the topics discussed, please book a call. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.